Uh, Father, we're so grateful uh, that we can sing that you are God alone, uh, the God of creation, the God of redemption, uh, the God before time even began. And, and to think that uh, in the overwhelming greatness of who you are, your kindness, your attributes, your power, your knowledge, your wisdom, uh, again, that you have made a way in Christ for us to know you and uh, to be in a friendship with you. And so we stand in awe of who you are, and we thank you that you have given us the gift of your word so that we can know you better. Uh, so now, Lord, as we open it together as brothers and sisters in Christ, will you meet us in the pages of Scripture? Will you unfold more of yourself to us? And might we be changed as your spirit takes this text and energizes it in our hearts and, and gives us understanding, empowering us to live and obey what we hear. Uh, Father, we know we all come with different needs today, and we know that as we look to you in the pages of Scripture now, that you will meet every need. So we ask for your help and your grace now in Jesus' name. Amen. So it was... 24 years ago that I received a phone call that I will never forget. Uh, it was Easter Sunday, and later that afternoon, my father called to tell me that my grandfather was dying of cancer. He had taken a turn for the worse, and that if I wanted to see him, I needed to jump on an airplane and get home right away. So I did. I, I was able to leave town the next day, went home, was able to see my grandfather uh, just for uh, a few moments uh, before he died later that evening. And uh, I don't know if you've ever had a phone call like that that just totally brings your world to a halt. Or maybe it's a text message or maybe something you read online and all of a sudden your life comes to a standstill and, and your priorities are jumbled and, and your thoughts are hard to rein in. You're, you're disoriented. You're disheveled. You feel like uh, all these things in your life are coming apart. It's incredibly destabilizing and disorienting when suffering hits. And um, again, we've probably all had moments like that. That's what suffering does, doesn't it? Affliction does that. It, it, uh, it disrupts our comfort. It disrupts the stability of life. And, and it makes us wonder, what do we do next? And, and how do we stay on top of things? And how do we find, most importantly, uh, a comfort and a solace in those times of affliction? Well, as we come to the passage in 2 Corinthians this morning, that's exactly where the Apostle Paul has been. He has been through these sort of life-stopping moments of affliction and suffering. In fact, he's going to dedicate a whole section of his letter here in 2 Corinthians when we get to chapter 11. He, he dedicates a whole section to all of the things that happened to him. He talks about being shipwrecked. He talks about being uh, kicked out of cities and persecuted for Christianity. He talks about the time that people tried to kill him by throwing rocks at him and, and uh, people uh, attacking his credibility and attacking his apostleship and, and even the Corinthians themselves, the recipients of this letter that we have before us, uh, had attacked his credibility. You'll remember a bit of the context of this letter, that there were some false teachers that arose in this new church in Corinth. And one of the things that they were doing, amongst other things, and spreading strife and spreading false doctrine, but they were attacking the credibility of the Apostle Paul. Uh, they were questioning his apostleship. They were questioning his integrity and his character and uh, his doctrine. And uh, you'll remember that that caused great distress and great affliction. Uh, Paul says, after all these external things going on in his life, I have this daily concern for all the churches that he was in charge of in terms of their shepherding. So Paul's gone through a great amount of difficulty and trial. In fact, he wrote a letter right before this letter. Uh, we don't have that letter intact anymore uh, from history. But he wrote uh, what he calls the severe letter to call these Corinthians 
to repentance. And, and they repented. They, they, they turned away from their sin, from the false teachers. They realized the Apostle Paul uh, for who he was. And so Paul writes Second Corinthians to rejoice with them that God has brought comfort and encouragement in the midst of affliction. And he's so excited to tell us about what God has told him. And that's why I think this passage is so helpful. We're just going to look at the first few verses of the first chapter of 2 Corinthians today. But, but, but this, is, this is really important because there is no other place in the New Testament quite like this when it comes to finding comfort in affliction. Um, I, I'm, going to, I'm going to tell you this, that, that 2 Corinthians 1 is the gravitational center of comfort in the New Testament. It's like a magnet that attracts comfort. You say, how do you know that? Well, the word comfort in our New Testament occurs about 31 times in the New Testament. Ten of those occur in our little section here. And nine more occur in, this, in the book of 2 Corinthians. So that tells us that this is the gravitational center of comfort. For some reason, as the, the Spirit worked in the Apostle Paul's life to write this text, he had it become a, a, a saturated uh, word of encouragement as it relates to finding comfort in affliction. And I don't know about you, but when suffering hits my family, uh, I need comfort like you do. And we need something to stabilize us and help us and help us to get our feet under us again. And I think that's what, what Paul has in mind for us here as we look at this short little section. He's going to help us to see some perspectives on suffering that are bring us comfort. And uh, so in our time, uh, we've we got to move quickly here. We're going to see six of these. Uh, the title of the message is The Divine Logic of Afflictive Suffering. What Paul's going to do is he's going to show us this is what God is doing in suffering. And as we see what he's doing, as, as we understand what God's doing in our grief and in our difficulty, that is the occasion then to know the comfort that he has for us. And again, sometimes it's hard to find comfort and encouragement in suffering, and that's why we need this text. So as Paul has just come out of a significant season of suffering, uh, he's going to help us to see how he found comfort and share that with us. Okay? So that's what we're going to look at. We'll look at 2 Corinthians. We're going to start... In verse 3, we're going to look, work down to verse 11. And in our time, I want to share with you six perspectives to see God's divine logic and suffering so that we can experience His comfort. All right, so with that in mind, let's look at our first perspective here, okay? And, and I, uh, there's an outline in your, um, in your bulletin there if you want to follow along or you can just look at the PowerPoint above me here, okay? But what's the first perspective that Paul wants us to see that, that brings comfort, that can help us to find encouragement in our suffering. Look at verse 3 with me. He writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercy, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. Well, here's, here's our first perspective. Our first perspective is about the character of God and comfort. And here's what Paul would say. We need to recognize suffering as the context to know the God of all comfort. Recognize suffering as the context to know the God of all comfort. Uh, one, one of the thrills that I get to experience in Grace Bible Church is I get, I get to teach every week third to sixth graders the Bible. And uh, a, bit of, a bit of a sad week, a couple weeks ago, because we wrapped up our Awana season, I got to give my last message to the third to sixth graders. We finished the Gospel of Mark and uh, it, kids, it was a great, it was a great year, wasn't it? We had a really good time. I see the Warrens back there nodding their head. It's been, it was a great study. And so we finished, and all of a sudden the hands start going up. And, and, and I didn't know it because they didn't tell me, but all of a sudden it was ask Pastor Keith theology questions time. And the more they asked questions, the more I thought it was actually the stump the pastor time that they were trying to do there. One, of the, one little boy asked this wonderful question. Because we had talked about Mark, how, how Jesus came, and we, we called him the fixer, right? Jesus is the great fixer of the suffering and sin of the world. All throughout the Old Testament, we see him uh, pictured and, and talked about, and then finally we read the Gospel of Mark, and here he is, the fixer's here, and he fixes everything, doesn't he? So one little boy raises his hand, and he says, um, so if we needed a fixer, why did God allow all this suffering in the first place? That's pretty good for a third grader, isn't it? 
And I, and I think that, that, that his question presses up to what Paul's getting at here. Why is there suffering? Why is there so much suffering in the world? And, and the, the closest the Bible comes to that is because suffering allows God to be glorified. It's about the glory of God. You say, how does suffering allow for the glory of God? Because the glory of God, that, we, we say that all the time, right? But the glory of God is really about God's character coming under a spotlight. It's God and who he is and what he's like, his attributes, his character being magnified and, and shown for all it is. And what Paul is saying here is that suffering is one of the spotlights that God uses to reveal himself to us. We, we would never know the extent of the comforts and mercies and, and encouragements of God without suffering. We wouldn't know that. And so God allows for suffering to teach us about himself. No, notice, look back at the text there. I, I love this title. He's called the God of all comfort. So the question is, how will you know the great God and his comfort? You don't get to know his character without a context which allows you to experience it. Have you, have you realized this? If you've been a Christian for a while, you understand that you don't get to know the character of God until you have a life situation that brings that part of God's character to the surface, right? You don't know his mercy until you felt guilty. You, you don't know his peace until you've gone through a moment of fear or anxiety. And what Paul is saying here is you don't know the extent and the depth and the breadth and the overwhelming magnitude of the comfort of God until you go through suffering. So, so that's, that's what he's saying here. He's saying suffering is the context for the spotlight to come down, for us to see the greatness of the comfort and the character of God. God is the one who brings comfort. That's what his argument is here. God is, notice what it says here, the God of all comfort. What's that saying? Every source of righteous comfort comes from God. Did you know that? Every source of righteous comfort that you and I experience in this life comes from him because he's the God of all comfort. So you know what that means? If you find comfort in bluebell ice cream, that came from God. If you find comfort in a puppy, that came from God too. If you find comfort in a sunset or your grandkids or, or medical provision or, or the encouragement of a friend, that all comes from God. In fact, Paul's going to make a point. You don't need to turn there. But in chapter 7, he's going to say, God comforts the depressed. Well, how did he do it? You know what he says in chapter 7? He sent Titus, Paul's good friend Titus, to bring that comfort. God uses people as his agents of comfort. So every comfort, every righteous comfort comes from God himself. Notice the other uh, uh, description here of God. He's the father of mercies. He's the father of mercies. Just, just let me ask you this. What comes into your mind when you hear the word Father. My guess is probably pretty varied in a room like this. It might be provider. It might be play sports. Always watches sports. Mr. Fixer. It might be abuse. It might be unable to be pleased. I don't know. But when we come to know God our Father, our Heavenly Father, I want you to see here, His description is Father of mercies. That's who He is. He is a Father full of compassion and mercy and care. And in our day of trouble, in our day of suffering, we turn to Him and we know we receive not judgment, not correction, but mercy. Because He's the Father of all 
mercies. Okay, so, so this is about divine logic, right? We're trying to understand what is God doing in suffering? Here's the logic. God uses suffering to reveal himself to you. He's the God of all comfort. He's the father of all mercies. See, we don't, we don't realize the extent of his mercies until we know suffering. And then we see. And that's what Paul's saying is here. We need suffering to see the extent of the comfort and mercy of God. Are you with me? Is that making sense? Okay, so, so suffering is about knowing the comfort of God through the character of God. And that's the first sort of logic he wants us to get here, right? Remember, suffering is disorienting and it's irrational. And I don't know what to do or what to think. So here's anchor point number one. Suffering reveals the character of God so that we can know his comfort and his mercies. And notice what he says here. We bless him for that. We praise him that in suffering we see his mercies and we see his comforts. That's number one. Okay, the character of God and comfort. Recognize suffering as the context to know the God of all comfort. Number two, we're trying to figure out how do we make sense of suffering so that it leads us to comfort. Number two, recognize, we'll call it conduit and comfort. Embrace your suffering as a conduit of comfort. Look with me at the second half of verse four there. He says, blessed be the God and Father right, of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, the Father of mercies, who... Uh, comforts us who is the god of all comfort who comforts us in all our affliction verse four so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by god did you get that do you understand what he said hear the logic here's the logic ready God will comfort you in your affliction so that you can comfort someone else in theirs. That's the logic. God will comfort you in your affliction so that you can then comfort someone else in theirs. And notice here, we don't comfort others with our covenant. We, 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 don't, we don't pick Hallmark greening card little encouragements and say, hey, you know, I hope you feel better. What God Uh, designs in our suffering is that we would know his comfort in his character the god of all mercies the, the father of mercies right the god of all comfort and as we come to know that comfort then we become a conduit to direct that comfort to other people in need do you see that we're, we're the delivery system we're the waiter We're, we're the we're the attendant to bring the comfort of god to other people now If you're, fi if you're tracking with me here, what that means is the success of our mission to be a conduit of God's comfort to other people means we have to know the comfort of God ourselves. We have to know Him. We have to find mercy in Him and find comfort in Him before we can then share that with other people. But that's God's design. You say, what's God doing in suffering? What, what's He up to? Why is my life so hard? Because He wants to make you and me a conduit of encouragement for him to other people. Does that make sense? That's what he's saying. That's the logic here. The success of our mission depends on knowing the comfort of God. And if we're going to know the comfort of God, guess what? We're going to go through some stuff. We're going to go through some suffering. God is building a conduit of comfort through your affliction. Does that make sense? He's building a conduit of comfort through your affliction. And we, we don't know what we need to share. We, we don't know how to share that comfort until we go through things and God helps us. And then we become that conduit of grace and help to other people. Um, several years ago, Alan and I got to go on a really cool field trip. And, and I don't know, where's Alan? I remember how old you were. Um, but uh, we had to go to Altus Air Force Base up in Oklahoma where they fly these big cargo planes that have been converted to big gas tanks. They put 30,000 gallons of jet fuel on board these planes and then they, they use them to refuel. This, this is crazy. They actually refuel other airplanes in the air. 
You know, the plane, the plane doesn't go down and land and then, you know, you pull up to the gas station and, you know, like we do, right? You pull into the racetrack gas station. That, I mean, they do that sometimes. But what if you got some mission and a little fighter jet doesn't have enough fuel for the mission? What do you do? Well, he can't go back to base. He's got a mission to do. So, so they call the tanker. And then these fighters fly up next to these flying gas tanks and they somehow link so that all that 30,000 gallons of gas that the tanker's carrying can, not, not all that, but he can give some of that to the fighter. He goes on and does the mission. And, and so, so this field trip that Alan and I got to go on, we, get, we got to ride on a tanker. We sit in the back seat and you look out this little window and boom, there's an airplane really close. Too close. And, 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 uh, and the neat thing, the way they do it in the Air Force is there's a guy that sits in the back of the tanker and his, he's got this, his, it's called a boom. I, I think like a, it's a big straw. It's a, it's a big gas hose. And he's got controls and he flies that little hose so that it goes right into the receptacle on the plane that needs the gas. And, and uh, it's, it's the most incredible, and, and you know, I don't ever get excited about airplanes. You know that. Um, it is the most amazing thing I've ever seen. You, you got this fighter in need or this plane in need. He's out of gas. You got this great tanker, full 30,000 gallons of gas, everything he needs. And that little conduit provides the link between the two. What's the point? The point is God has designed your and my affliction as that conduit between all of the resources of comfort in God. So that he can then get that comfort in to the, to the person in need in that. God is building a conduit of comfort in your and my affliction. That's why he's doing, that's what he's doing. He's, he's doing that so that we can then help other people. Okay? So we talk about character of God and comfort, conduit and comfort. Let's look at our third perspective here. As we're trying to get our bearing, what is God doing in suffering? Can we understand what he's doing so that we can find comfort? Let's look at the third one that Paul gives here. We'll call this Christ and comfort. Christ and comfort. Look to Christ as the connection between suffering and comfort. Look to Christ as the connection between suffering and comfort. Look at verse 5. Paul Paul writes, For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. See, so, so here's the logic. We're trying to get the logic of suffering, right? What's going on in suffering? Jesus is the intersection of suffering and comfort. He's the intersection of suffering and comfort. We go right out here, Clifton Road intersects into 377. That's an intersection, right? What Paul's saying is Jesus is the intersection between our suffering and our comfort. You say, that's great. How does that help me in suffering? Here's what he's saying. Look what he says here. He says, it's because of Christ that we experience a lot of suffering. That was the case in Paul's day, wasn't it? Paul was afflicted. He was suffering. He went through difficulty in part because he was a Christian. His suffering in many cases was because he was a follower of Christ. And and you know, that was true then. It's true today. It's true today, isn't it? We experience uh, cultural pressure, societal pressure, political pressure. Christians around the world, way more than in America, are persecuted. They're put in jail. They're, they're, they're falsely tried. I had a, I had a friend that, that got kicked out of a country one time. He was a missionary there. And uh, the government decided they didn't want him there anymore. So you know what they did? They went and they duct taped over his license plate. And then the cops were awaiting at the next door, you know, the block next door, so that when he pulled out to go to work, they were there, up, up, your license plate is, isn't showing. That's a violation. And in that country, if you got any sort of moving violation, they revoked the, the visa and sent them home. Because the gospel brings persecution. Those of you that were with us in 2 Timothy in our study this summer, you remember 2 Timothy 3.12, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, what? Will be persecuted. So Jesus is part of the reason that we know suffering. And yet what Paul's saying is he's the intersection, not just of suffering, but of comfort, meaning Jesus is the source of our comfort in our suffering. This is about our union with Christ, meaning because we're united to Christ by faith alone, we have access to all the resources in him. 
There is security in Christ. He is the one who said, I will never leave you or forsake you. We know the promises of Christ and his provision. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We know the provision of God, right? In, in, in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And as Paul's going to argue later on in chapter 12, that it's in Christ that we know incredible power and incredible grace and incredible strength in him. Every provision for your full comfort in suffering is found in Jesus. That's his point. So then we have to back up and ask the question. Because I'll admit I don't do this so well, and maybe you don't either. If that's true, where do we go for comfort? Is that where we go? Do we go to the one that has all the comfort, or, or do we do other things? Uh, I've noticed that, that we love to run to false sources of comfort. Have you noticed this? Do you do this too? I made a list here for you. When you're suffering, where do you turn? For help, for explanation, for comfort. I think some of us are guilty of GBC, Google-based comfort. That's where you go and seek comfort in research and answers and explanations that we find on Google. Some of us are guilty of CBC, control-based comfort. That's comfort in taking action to maintain a sense of control over my life. Some of us are guilty of MBC, monetary-based comfort, where we find comfort in money and stuff and possession and provisions and, and a false sense of security from those things. Some of our guilty are of OBC, outcome-based comfort. That's comfort when you get your own way. And so you just fight until you get your own way, until your circumstances change. Some of us are guilty of RBC, relief-based comfort. Comfort when you achieve relief from your problem. And what we need is JBC, Jesus-based comfort. We go to Him. We find comfort in the mercies and promises of Jesus. Listen, whether or not you have an explanation or not, whether you have an answer or not, whether you know relief or not, this, this, is, this is wild. You can know comfort in Jesus without an explanation, without an answer, without relief. If you turn to Him. That's radical stuff, isn't it? But that's what Paul's calling. That's how he found comfort. You think Paul found comfort because all his problems went away? No, he found comfort in the God of all comfort through his Son, in whom are all the provisions for lasting comfort. So we turn to him. Listen, your comfort is only as reliable as your foundation for comfort. And when we turn to things that are unreliable, like Google, like medicine, like a good friend, like wealth, like stuff, like whatever. It doesn't produce comfort, it produces anxiety. You say, why is that? Because you're always wondering how long is it going to last. Isn't it better? Isn't it better to rest our comfort on the rock that never changes? So we need to hitch the wagon of our comfort to the solid, unchanging provisions of our Lord Jesus Christ. We need to connect our comfort to Christ in that. That's the, that's the third provision there. Let's look at number four. We've got to keep going here. That's Christ and comfort. Here's the, the fourth provision here. Let's talk about com- companions and comfort. Companions and comfort. View your suffering as an opportunity to comfort others. View your suffering as an opportunity to comfort others. This is similar to number two, but he's going to expand on it here, okay? Listen, look look at verse six. But if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. And our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that as you are sharers of our suffering, so you are also sharers of our comfort. This is, this is crazy too, guys. You ready, you ready for this, like, 
biblical logic that will reorient your life. Listen to this. Your suffering might primarily be about someone else's comfort. Did you get that? Your suffering might primarily be about someone else's comfort. That's what Paul's saying here. Because he says what? If we are afflicted, it's for what? It's for your benefit. It's for your salvation. It's for your comfort. That, that guy, that's what you and I are going through right now. God's going to use for his glory in your life, certainly. But it may be that thing you're going through is primarily about you being a conduit to bless someone else in their affliction. And God's preparing you for that important work. Look at the text. He says, if we are afflicted, it's for your comfort. Your suffering might primarily be about someone else's benefit. And notice he says here, if we are afflicted, it's for your comfort. It's also for your salvation. We go, whoa, what does that mean? Well, when Paul uses the word salvation here, he's not talking about conversion. He's not talking about becoming a Christian. What he's saying is, if you're afflicted, if we're afflicted, it's for your benefit in terms of your final deliverance, your final salvation. What he says is, we want to be a comfort to you in a way that helps you to endure through your suffering. Endure to the end. Um. In fact, that, that, that little word there, um, deliverance, means effective in the patient. In, or actually, he says there, uh, he explains it, right? What, what does it mean, comfort and salvation? He says, uh, it's effective in the patient enduring of the same suffering which we also suffer. What's he saying? He's saying, we want to bring comfort in your affliction so that comfort produces an endurance in your life. A persevering, patient endurance. I love that little word endurance that's used here. It means, listen to this, the capacity to hold out or bear up in the face of difficulty. See, when you are the conduit of comfort to someone else, you help them develop and know true comfort. And that true comfort is what allows them then to persevere through their trial. What's Paul saying? He's saying people that possess God's comfort can persevere with patience through anything. Now, again, here's the logic, okay? Here's how we think. We think, I'm just going to get through this, and then I'm going to have comfort at the end of it when it's all done. What Paul is saying is this. If you know the comfort of Christ now in your suffering, if you know Christ's uh, provision now in the midst of your affliction, that's going to allow you to endure patiently and and with encouragement however long that trial lasts. Because you you, you notice that some of you are going through this, you've gone through this. Some trials don't end. Some trials don't go away. And if you're thinking, I'm just going to get through this and comfort's at the end, guess what? That comfort never comes. So hear the divine logic. You can know comfort, not at the end of your trial, but in the midst of your trial. And that comfort is actually the prerequisite then. That's what helps you to then get through the trial with endurance and patience. And and, and this is the incredible thing. God is calling us to participate in that work. Your affliction, my affliction, your trial, my trial today is preparing us. To be able to help someone else to know that in their affliction down the road. We're conduits bringing God's comfort because the suffering we might be experiencing today might actually be about helping someone else in their comfort. Look back at the text. He says, and our hope for you is firmly grounded. What he's saying is, when you see somebody else who knows comfort in the midst of affliction, that brings a security in your heart about their condition, doesn't it? You know, sometimes sometimes the harder suffering is not the person going through the trial, but the loved one that's walking along with them. You say, well, how do we help those folks? Paul's saying, we have a firm confidence 
when that loved one that's going through a trial, going through the suffering, when we see the comfort of God that we know, according to this passage, is going to get them through. If they have that comfort in Christ, they have everything they need to get through. That reassures our heart as we see the loved one suffering. And that also directs our ministry to them, doesn't it? Because it helps us to say, hey, we, we can throw all sorts of comfort at them, but what they really need is the comfort of Christ in the midst of their suffering. So how do we really help other people? We help them find comfort in Christ. Your suffering might primarily be for another's benefit. And as God comforts you and me, then we're able, we're able to go and comfort others so that they will persevere. You know, personal comfort, like all other of God's blessings he gives, he intends for us to share with others. If God has comforted you in a trial, if God has comforted you in affliction, if, you, if you've tasted some of this and said, I saw Christ work, I see his provision, I see his... If God has worked in your life, don't be a spiritual hoarder. Share it. In fact, here's a great question. If God has comforted you, what person has God put in your life who needs to know that comfort? Because that's his plan, that we would share it with other people. Okay, that's number four. Let's look at number five. Got to keep going here. Talk about confidence and comfort. Confidence and comfort. Uh, I think I think I think this is the main point here. Okay, so so follow me on this confidence and comfort redefine your picture of comfort not as the absence of suffering but as utter helpless dependence what Paul's going to do here is he is going to erase the theological whiteboard of what you and I think of as comfort and he's going to draw a different picture and it's amazing Look with me at verse 8. For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves, so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. He talks here about some affliction that happened on in Asia. Um, we don't know what particular historic account that, that refers to, but there was some trial, some difficulty he went through that was so overwhelming, so afflictive, Paul and his companions said, yep, we're going to die. It's all over. There's no hope. There, there's no way we're making it out of this. And, and notice, it, it wasn't just the fact that Paul thinks, hey, we're going to die. Notice, it's not just, hey, we're going to die. Notice the turmoil that that produced inside of him. Look back at the text. He says, we were burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired even of life. Think about that. Have you ever hurt so badly? Have you ever suffered so significantly that you don't want to live anymore? That's what he's saying. He's saying whatever this event was drove him to the place that he despaired for even his own life. Some of you know I've spent the last two weeks on a writing sabbatical trying to finish a dissertation and I've spent these last two weeks studying the relationship between two hymn writers, John Newton and William Cooper. Uh, John Newton was a pastor and William Cooper was a poet. They got together, they wrote some hymns. We sing some of those hymns today still. And many of you know, that, know Cooper's story that, that uh, Cooper became a Christian in a, a sane asylum after he had tried to kill himself and went through a great season of darkness, walked with Jesus for many years, wrote hymns, uh, ministered to people, spread the gospel. Uh, he was Newton's kind of assistant pastor. 
And then one night, the darkness hit again. It was actually the same day he wrote the hymn, God Moves a Mysterious Way. He wrote that one afternoon, and in that night, his depression hit, and he was ushered into the throes of despair again, and he tried to commit suicide again. Cooper described what it felt like. And, and, and maybe you've never known a depression like this. Some of you probably have, but many of us have not. Cooper described it like this. Imagine a slug that falls into a deep well. And he begins to travel up the side of the well. And even the, just his own body weight was overwhelming in terms of the discouragement and the hopelessness of ever possibly seeing the light of day again. That's what we're talking about. Paul says, I got to that point, I had no hope. Utterly despairing. But then he says something really interesting. But it was a good thing. And you're thinking, Pastor Keith, that's not a good thing. Depression isn't good. Despair isn't good. Suicidal isn't good. Well, in and of itself, no, it's not good. But what God does in those moments is life transforming. Listen to what he did. Look back at the text. We were burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired even of life itself. We had the sentence of death within ourselves. Why? Why would God do that to somebody? Listen, listen to the purpose. So that we would not trust in ourselves, but in a God who raises the dead. That's why God does it. There's so much suffering in the world. Why would God allow this? Because He wants you and me to depend utterly and helplessly on Him alone. That's why. That's the logic here. So that we would not trust in ourselves, but in a God who raises the dead. So what's real comfort? This is interesting. I I think this whole point is to say, what's real comfort? Okay, you got you got a blank whiteboard. Draw comfort. Is it the Caribbean? Is it a fishing hole somewhere? Is it all your grandkids around the Thanksgiving table? What, what's, what's comfort look like? Draw the picture in your mind. What this text does is God erases that board. And he says, you know what comfort is? Comfort is when you and I come to the end of ourselves, despairing even of our own life, so that we will rest and lean on him alone. Now, do you define comfort like that? Comfort is leaning on him alone. So we need to redefine our concept of comfort. Listen, comfort is not the absence of suffering. It's a despair of self, an utter helplessness so that we will depend on God alone who raises the dead. Christian comfort is total dependence on God. That's what it means. And you know what? God loves us enough to take us to places we do not want to go so that we will experience feelings we do not want to feel so that we can experience a comfort that we can hardly imagine in relying on Him alone. That's what He's up to. And that's what He's doing in our affliction. Can I give you some John Newton? Listen to this. Perhaps you may sometimes have observed a bird in a hedge or upon the the boughs of a tree. If you disturb it, it will move a little farther or a little higher. And thus you you may make it change places three or four times. But if it finds, after a few trials, that you continue to follow it, it will, and you will not suffer it to rest near you, it takes wing at last and flies quite away. 
Thus it is with us. When the Lord drives us from one creature rest, we presently perch upon another. But He will not allow us to fix long upon any. At length, like the bird, we are sensible that we can have no safety, no stable peace below, then our heart takes flight and soars heavenward, and we are taught by His grace to place our treasure and our affections out of the reach of changes. So far as this end is accomplished, we have reason to be thankful for the means and say, Happy rod that brought me nearer to my God. Do you get that? That's why I love Newton. So we need to redefine this idea of comfort. It's not the absence of suffering. It's utter helpless dependence on God. Last point. Let's talk about cooperation and comfort. Cooperation and comfort. Pray for others to know this type of comfort in their suffering. Pray for others to know this type of comfort in their suffering. Look look with me at verse 10. He who delivered us from so great a peril of death and will deliver us, he on whom we have set our hope, and he will yet deliver us, you also joining in helping us through your prayers so that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed on us through the prayers of many. Notice with me here, what's going on here? Paul is saying, look, God did bring deliverance. Whatever this affliction was in his life, where he despaired even of life itself, God spared his life. He's writing, right? He didn't die. And Paul says, you know what? I'm confident he is going to continue to deliver me until his will for my life is to take me home. But notice what he puts the focus on. He says, I want you to remember that even as God delivers us from these afflictions, He says, I want you and others to join in helping us through your prayers so that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed on us through the prayers of many. As usual, Paul is wordy here, and we're not sure what he means, okay? here's Here's what he's saying. He's saying, the goal of God's deliverance is not just to remove the affliction. The goal is that we would depend on God alone. That's what he just told us. And so he says now, you and I have another role to play. We have another role to play, and that is to pray for other people going through affliction to know that type of comfort. And this this really challenges how and why we're praying, right? When, When you and I know somebody who's suffering, they're going through some trial, they're going through some affliction, what do we typically pray? Be honest, I do the same thing. God remove the trial. Just deliver. And, and you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. Paul says, you know, that, that's a good thing to pray for. But what he's challenging us is this. Don't just pray that God would deliver them from the trial. Pray that they would find an utter dependence on God as their chief comfort in the trial. That's way more important. God may remove the trial. He may not. But what is essential is that they lean on Him alone to find comfort alone. I, I think, guys, I think we're praying wrong. Paul says pray that people would know a comfort in utter dependence and that their suffering and trial would produce a more pure dependence on God alone in their trial. So he says pray like that. Pray for others. You say, why do we pray? Notice the reason he pray, he, he says to pray. So that many thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor of blessing bestowed on us. So Paul pictures many Christians, many brothers and sisters in Christ, all praying together that this person going through suffering would know the comfort of Christ by depending on Him alone. And, and what, what an amazing picture there when brothers and sisters praying to God that, that another hurting Christian would know the comfort of God that transcends their circumstances. That brings God glory when we pray like that corporately. And so he says there's some cooperation we have to have now, right? We need to pray for others to know this type of comfort in their suffering. So what happens in suffering? 
It's disorienting. It's irrational. It's destabilizing. Many of us have been there. Probably all of us have been there in some way. It doesn't make sense. And what Paul is doing here is he's saying, let me help you to know what God is doing in your suffering. Suffering is the vehicle that God brings comfort into our life through. And we need to remember that. The experience of suffering is an occasion for the God of all comfort to help us. Listen to Newton. The Lord permits us to feel our weakness, that we may be sensible of it. For though we are ready in words to confess that we are weak, we do not so properly know it till that secret, though unallowed, dependence that we have upon some strength in ourselves is brought to a trial and fails. Let me translate 18th century for you. Newton says, we all know we're supposed to depend on God. That's what Sunday school tells us. But the reality is, we don't see so clearly how much we do not depend on God, but we depend on other things. Until God identifies that other thing and goes, kick, and gets rid of it. Now, we don't like that. I don't like that. You don't like that. But it's redemptive, isn't it? Okay? Again, listen to Newton. Till that secret, unallowed dependence we have upon some other strength in ourselves is brought to a trial and fails us. So here's the point. Listen to Newton. To be humble and like a little child, afraid of taking a step alone, and so conscious of snares and dangers around us as to cry to Him continually to hold us up that we may be safe. That is the sure, the infallible, the only secret of walking closely with Him. That's why we need affliction. And that is the amazing comfort that God is working in your life and in my life as we learn to depend on Jesus alone. Let's pray. Father, thank You that You love us enough to expose all the other pseudo-comforts and false saviors that we are prone to cling to instead of Jesus. Lord, thank You that our trials are not in vain, that suffering is not a useless, meaningless, hopeless exercise. But our trials and afflictions are the vehicles that You use to magnify Your comfort and to wean us away from other things to lean solely on You alone. And Father, we confess, we want to lean on You alone. So help us to do that. Help us to see your kind, merciful, fatherly hand in every affliction, designed for our good, revealing more of your comfort, and like a little child, leaning totally, helplessly on the love of his caring Father. Father, this is what we want. This is what we need. And as you work that in our own hearts, would you make us conduits delivery systems, waiters and waitresses of the comforts that can be known in Christ to other friends that are suffering. Father, this world is full of suffering. Make us faithful to our mission to bring the comfort of Christ to a hurting world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.